listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, 2,500-page mystical revelation received by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to read along, you can acquire your own four-volume copy from Tan Books. And at checkout, if you use the code PODCAST15, you'll save 15% off. Also, if you would like to discuss the day's readings, go over to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast Facebook group, and there you can interact with other readers and listeners. Today is day 39, and we are reading from book one of volume one. We will start with chapter 21, and we will read paragraphs 326 to 335. Chapter 21. Of the felicitous birth of the Most Holy Mary, our Mistress, of the favors which she then received from the hand of the Most High, and how a name was given her in heaven and on earth. The day destined for the parturition of St. Anne, and for the birth of her, who was consecrated and sanctified to be the Mother of God, had arrived, a day most fortunate for the world. This birth happened on the eighth day of September fully nine months having elapsed since the conception of the soul of our most holy queen and lady. St. Anne was prepared by an interior voice of the Lord, informing her that the hour of her parturition had come. Full of joy of the Holy Spirit at this information, she prostrated herself before the Lord and besought the assistance of his grace and his protection for a happy deliverance. Presently, she felt a movement in her womb similar to that which is proper to creatures being born to the light. The most blessed child Mary was at the same time by divine providence and power ravished into a most high ecstasy. Hence, Mary was born into the world without perceiving it by her senses, for their operations and faculties were held in such suspense. As she had the use of her reason, she would have perceived it by her senses, if they would have been left to operate in their natural manner at that time. However, the Almighty disposed otherwise, in order that the princess of heaven might be spared the sensible experience otherwise connected with birth. She was born pure and stainless, beautiful and full of grace, thereby demonstrating that she was free from the law and the tribute of sin. Although she was born substantially like other daughters of Adam, yet her birth was accompanied by such circumstances and conditions of grace that it was the most wonderful and miraculous birth in all creation and will eternally redound to the praise of her Maker. At twelve o'clock in the night, this divine luminary issued forth, dividing the night of the ancient law in its pristine darkness from the new day of grace, which now was about to break into dawn. She was clothed, handled, and dressed like other infants, though her soul dwelt in the divinity, and she was treated as an infant, though she excelled all mortals and even all angels in wisdom. Her mother did not allow her to be touched by other hands than her own, but she herself wrapped her in swaddling clothes, and in this St. Anne was not hindered by her present state of childbirth, for she was free from the toils and labors which other mothers usually endure in such circumstances. So then, St. Anne received in her arms her, who was her daughter, but at the same time the most exquisite treasure of all the universe, inferior only to God and superior to all other creatures. With fervent tears of joy she offered the treasure to his majesty, saying interiorly, Lord of infinite wisdom and power, 
creator of all that exists, this fruit of my womb, which I have received of thy bounty, I offer to thee with eternal thanks. For without any merit of mine, thou hast vouchsafed it to me. Dispose thou of the mother and child according to thy most holy will, and look propitiously down upon our lowliness and from thy exalted throne. Be thou eternally blessed, because thou hast enriched the world with a creature so pleasing to thy bounty, and because in her thou hast prepared a dwelling place and a tabernacle of the eternal word. Wisdom 9.18 I tender my congratulations to my holy forefathers and to the holy prophets, and in them to the whole human race, for the sure pledge of redemption which thou hast given them. But how shall I be able worthily to treat her, whom thou hast given me as a daughter? I am not worthy to be her servant. How shall I handle the true ark of the testament? Give me, O my Lord and King, the necessary enlightenment to know thy will and to execute it according to thy pleasure in the service of my daughter. The Lord answered the holy matron interiorly. That sight was to treat her heavenly child outwardly as mothers treat their daughters without any demonstration of reverence, but to retain this reverence inwardly, fulfilling the laws of a true mother toward her, and rearing her up with all motherly love and solicitude. All this the happy mother complied with, making use of this permission and her mother's rights without losing her reverence. She regaled herself with her most holy daughter, embracing and caressing her in the same way as other mothers do with their daughters. But it was always done with a proper reverence and consciousness of the hidden and divine sacrament known only to the mother and daughter. The guardian angels of the sweet child with others in great multitudes showed their veneration and worship to Mary, and she rested in the arms of her mother. They joined in heavenly music, some of which was audible also to Blessed Anne. The thousand angels appointed as guardians of the great queen offered themselves and directed themselves to her service. This was also the first time in which the heavenly mistress saw them in a corporeal form with their devices, as I shall describe in another chapter, chapter 23. And the child asked them to join with her in the praise of the Mosai and to exalt him in her name. At that moment of the birth of our Princess Mary, the Most High sent the Archangel Gabriel as an envoy to bring this joyful news to the Holy Fathers in limbo. Immediately the heavenly ambassador descended, illuminating that deep cavern and rejoicing the just who were detained therein. He told them that already the dawn of eternal felicity had commenced, and that the reparation of man, which was so earnestly desired and expected by the holy patriarchs and foretold by the prophets, had been begun since she, who was the mother of the Messiah, had now been born. Soon would they now see the salvation, the glory of the Most High. The Holy Prince gave them an understanding of the excellence of the Most Holy Mary and of what the Omnipotent had begun to work in her, in order that they might better comprehend the happy beginning of the mystery which was to end their prolonged imprisonment. Then all the holy patriarchs and prophets and the rest of the just in limbo rejoiced in spirit and in new canticles praised the Lord for this benefit. All these happenings at the birth of our queen succeeded each other in a short space of time. The first exercise of her senses in the light of her material son was to recognize her parents and other creatures. The arms of the Most High began to work new wonders in her far above all conceptions of men, and the first and most stupendous one was to send innumerable angels to bring the mother of the eternal word, body and soul, into the Empyrean heaven for the fulfilling of his further intentions regarding her. The holy princess obeyed the divine mandate, and receiving the child Mary from the arms of her holy mother Anne, 
they arranged a new and solemn procession, bearing heavenward with incomparable songs of joy the true Ark of the Covenant, in order that for a short time it might rest not in the house of Obededon, but in the temple of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords, where later on it was to be placed for all eternity. This was the second step, which Most Holy Mary made in her life, namely, from this earth to the highest heaven. Who can worthily extol this wonderful prodigy of the right hand of the Almighty? Who can describe the joy and the admiration of the celestial spirits when they beheld this new and wonderful work of the Most High, and when they gathered to celebrate it in their songs? In these songs they acknowledged and reverenced as their queen and mistress, her who was to be the mother of their Lord and the source of the grace and glory which they possessed. For it was through his foreseen merits that they had been made the recipients of the divine bounty. But above all, what human tongue or what mortal could ever describe or comprehend the heart's secrets of the tender child during these events? I leave the imagination of all this to the Catholic piety and still more to those who in the Lord are favored with an understanding of it, but most of all to those who by divine bounty shall have arrived at the beatific vision face to face. Born by the hands of the angels, the child Mary entered the Empyrean heaven, where she prostrated herself full of love before the royal throne in the presence of the Most High. Then, according to our way of understanding, was verified what long before had happened in figure when Bathsheba entered into the presence of her son Solomon, who, while presiding over the people of Israel, arose from his throne, received her with honor and reverence, and seated her at his side as queen. Similarly, but in a more glorious and admirable manner, the person of the divine word now received the child Mary, whom he had chosen as mother, as queen of the universe. Although her real dignity and the purpose of these ineffable mysteries were unknown to Mary, Yet her infant faculties were strengthened by divine power, by the proper reception of these favors. New graces and gifts were bestowed upon her, by which her faculties were correspondingly elevated. Her powers of mind, besides being illumined and prepared by new grace and light, were raised in proportion to the divine manifestation, and the divinity displayed itself in the new light vouchsafed, revealing itself to her intuitively and clearly in a most exalted manner. This was the first time in which the Most Holy Soul of Mary saw the Blessed Trinity, an unveiled beatific vision. The sole witness of the glory of Mary in this beatific vision, of the sacraments then again revealed to her, of the divine effect that overflowed into her most pure soul, was God, the author of this unheard-of wonder, and the astounded angels who, in some measure, perceived these mysteries in God himself, the queen, seated at the side of the Lord, who was to be her son, and seeing him face to face, was more successful in her prayer than Bathsheba, 3 Kings 2.21. For she prayed that he bestow the untouched Sunamite Abisag, his inaccessible divinity upon his sister, human nature. She prayed that his promised coming from heaven to the earth and his marriage with human nature by the hypostatic union might be fulfilled in the person of the word. Many times had he pledged himself to it among men, through the ancient patriarchs and prophets, and now Mary besought him to accelerate the reparation of the human race, expected for so many ages amid the multiplied iniquity and the ruin of souls. The Most High heard this most pleasing petition of his mother, and acting more graciously than Solomon of old toward his mother, he assured her that soon his promises should be fulfilled, 
that he should descend to the world in order to assume and redeem the human nature. In this divine consistory and tribunal of the Most Holy Trinity, it was determined to give a name to the child queen, as there is no proper and legitimate name except it be found in the immutable being of God himself, for from it are participated and determined according to their right weight and measure all things in infinite wisdom. His majesty wished, therefore, to give and impose that name in heaven. He thereby made known to the angelic spirits that the three divine persons had decreed and formed the sweet names of Jesus and Mary for the Son and Mother from the beginning before the ages, and that they had been delighted with them and had engraved them on their eternal memories, to be, as it were, the objects for whose service they should create all things. Being informed of these and many other mysteries, the holy angels heard a voice from the throne speaking in the person of the Father. Our chosen one shall be called Mary, and this name is to be powerful and magnificent. Those that shall invoke it with devout affection shall receive most abundant graces. Those that shall honor it and pronounce it with reverence shall be consoled and vivified, and will find in it the remedy of their evils, the treasures for their enrichment, the light which shall guide them to heaven. It shall be terrible against the power of hell, it shall crush the head of the serpent, and it shall win glorious victories over the princes of hell. The Lord commanded the angelic spirits to announce the glorious name to St. Anne, so that what was decreed in heaven might be executed on earth. The heavenly child lovingly prostrate before the throne rendered most acceptable and human thanks to the eternal being, and she received the name with most admirable and sweet jubilation. The prerogatives and graces which she was then favored with were to be described. It would necessitate an extra book of many volumes. The holy angels honored and acknowledged Most Holy Mary as the future mother of the word, and as their queen and mistress, enthroned at the right hand of her son. They showed their veneration of her holy name, prostrating themselves as it proceeded from the throne in the voice of the Eternal Father, especially those who had written it on the devices over their breast. All of them gave forth canticles of praise for these great and hidden mysteries. In the meanwhile, the infant queen remained ignorant of the real cause of all that she thus experienced, for her dignity of mother of the incarnate word was not revealed to her to the time of her incarnation. With the same reverential jubilee did the angels return in order to replace her into the holy arms of Holy Anne, to whom this event remained a secret, as was also the absence of her daughter, for a guardian angel assuming an aerial body supplied her place for this very purpose. More than that, during a great part of the time in which the heavenly child remained in the Empyrean heaven, her mother was wrapped in an ecstasy of highest contemplation, and in it, although she did not know what was happening to the child, exalted mysteries concerning the dignity of the mother of God, to which she was to be chosen, were revealed to her. The prudent matron kept them enshrined within her breast, conferring them in her thoughts with the duties she owed to her child. This concludes our reading today for day 39, in which we read from Volume 1, Book 1, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 326 through 335. We'll pick up tomorrow at Paragraph 336 of Chapter 21. This volume that we've been reading from has been called The Conception. And so we have discussed the conception of the Blessed Mother and how that came about and what that means, how that was signified, how the SCOTUS position is being represented in Venerable Maria of Agreda's rendering of the conception of Mary. But now we've moved from the conception 
And now Mary has been born. And so today in our reading, we witness this birth of Mary. There are a few things I think that are worthy of mentioning. The first is that image of the idea of the Archangel Gabriel and Maria Vagrida says she goes into limbo and announces to them that the plan of salvation, that the dawn of salvation is coming. And so, again, we talked about limbo uh, several weeks ago now, in which I, I spoke about this idea of limbo and how the church no longer teaches it as a matter of doctrine, kind of question whether or not limbo existed. Uh, this was Pope Benedict when he was uh, a part of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. But what Maria Vagreda here, as she speaks about limbo, is referencing is really this idea of the Jewish Sheol, this place of waiting. The idea that those who died were waiting for the promised one who then would open the gates of everlasting life. And so there was this longing, this great waiting. And we see this in the iconography of the resurrection, that there Jesus descends to the depths of the, uh, the netherworld, into the depths of hell. That's why in the creed we say he descended into hell. And in the icons, then, he's bringing out Adam and Eve and Moses and the prophets, and he's leading them because by his death and by his resurrection, he opens the gates of eternal life. And so for them who are awaiting this glorification in heaven of being able to see God face to face, well, the archangel comes and goes into the depths of that place and tells them, soon, Soon you will be delivered. Soon the Lord Jesus will open the gates of heaven for you. In some sense, I, I kind of recall the fact that Our Lady visits purgatory. And that's something to think about. These visits to these places of waiting. And we heard it today by Maria Vagreda. Another thing that we heard today, another term that maybe is unfamiliar to some who don't study theology is the beatific vision. So what that means is the vision of the blessed. So when you die, you are caught up in the vision of God forever. I think sometimes we try to apply our earthly experience to that of what we anticipate in the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure you've been to some of those funerals, eulogies, where they're like, well, so-and-so is now fishing or enjoying a beer with a loved one up there in the heaven and the sky or whatever, right? And that's probably not going to happen in the kingdom of heaven. St. Thomas Aquinas writes about the beatific vision, and really the beatific vision is being caught up in the love of the God that we could not see here on earth. And so we are caught up in love and We've been reading, too. We've heard these commentaries about the book of Revelation. And if you've ever read Dr. Scott Hahn's The Lamb's Supper, you'll know that the book of Revelation is all about the wedding feast of the Lamb in the kingdom of heaven. And, well, what's going on in that wedding feast? Well, the holy ones are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's really heaven is this complete worship of God. And so when she references the beatific vision— that is what she means, is seeing God, that as we die, then we behold that beatific vision. Thirdly, we heard in our reading today a beautiful reflection on the name of Mary, and we have that feast of the holy name of Mary. And 
Maria Vagrata says it's a powerful name when it's reverenced and called upon and all of these different things. Graces will be showered upon that person. And when we think about the Hail Mary that we pray, we greet Mary in the same words of the Archangel Gabriel. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. We say, Holy Mary. We say her name in that Hail Mary prayer. We call upon her. We say, please pray for me. And so when we call upon her when we use that name, we get her attention, and she indeed does pray for us. We'll continue to hear more tomorrow in our reading from Maria of Agreda. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I've been reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm honored that you continue to tune in day after day, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.